The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Thursday. August 25th, 2022, and it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You'll hear the show in its entirety on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Probably about 20 minutes after we conclude here, if you miss anything. Thank you very much for being here. I am Mike Heck. Hope you're all having a great week. A wonderful Thursday. We are still feeling the hangover of UFC 278, and rightfully so, and it is not a bad thing because Leon Edwards continues to be celebrated as the new welterweight champion of the world. The story continues to be told in multiple different ways. In fact, I have another angle that's going to be coming soon to MMAfighting.com. I had the chance to speak with, for about 30 minutes yesterday, a man who has become part of this story for a reason that I just don't actually understand. But Dean Thomas, I spoke with Dean Thomas yesterday, who had a sort of famous quote that has become famous that probably shouldn't have been a few minutes before the knockout happened, where he essentially said, look, this Leon Edwards looks broken right now, and explained why he felt that way. And then the knockout happens, John Anik has the legendary call, and to me... Going back and watching it yesterday before I spoke with Dean, it just made the moment so much more meaningful and so much more memorable because I thought Dean set the table really well. And he was saying what most people watching the fight were thinking. I said it because I I even said to Dean, like I tweeted out after that fourth round, 39-37 Usman, Edwards looks extremely frustrated right now. And to me, even going back and watching it, knowing what was about to happen, I don't think I was wrong tweeting that. I don't think Dean was wrong saying that. And then what him saying that and then Anik saying that he's not cut from the cloth where essentially he's, he's in it for moral victories and then boom, the head kick lands. It just made for one of the best calls, maybe the best four to five minutes of actual broadcasting that I've seen. And it set the moment up just so much in in a so much more meaningful way. 
And Dean has just been getting clobbered <laughs> from people saying he shouldn't have a job in the UFC because he said that. People just saying he's wrong and they're better than him and they're smarter than him. It's just it's just wild. It's it's just crazy. But uh, I'm working on the transcripts of that right now, and it's a really good interview. And hopefully you'll get to hear that in the next couple of days. But just really great stuff. And you know what? I was going to wait on this, but I'm just going to do it now. I'm just going to do it now because I teased a BTL matchup that is just absolute fire. And I believe that this is fire. And I'm giving some of the folks what they wanted because for the last couple of weeks and all the time I get different requests on Jed versus blank. Jed should go against this person. Jed should go against that person. But there has been a name that has come up multiple times over the last couple of weeks. And I'm happy to say that we are making it happen. 3 p.m. Eastern today, BTL. It's going to be Jed Mishu versus from morning combat fame, Brian Campbell. Jed versus BC. Holy cow. There's going to be some hot takes. There's going to be some fire. And that is going to be a battle, ladies and gentlemen. I can't wait. 3 p.m. Eastern, live on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. That is going to be a lot of fun. So I know a lot of people want, want to have their voices heard. A lot of people have some things to say. It's nice to see AK in the space, back in our lives. Let's do this. I know Four Quarter Sports is like, you got to get me in. You got to get me in. I have thoughts. Hey, Let's go. Hey, Mike. Uh, heck of a morning. Uh, sorry I missed your show on Tuesday, but I wanted to give my two cents about uh, the fight between Leon and Usman. Now, I was re I rewatched the fight, and, you know, nobody should be, you know, talking bad about Dean Thomas just because of how Leon's body language was. But it's true. It looked like he did want out. But you have to give a lot of credit to the the coaches in uh, Leon's corner because they finally woke him up and it was beautiful how he ended up setting up the, the left punch, hiding it behind the left high kick. Now, I really did think that Usman was going to just try to grapple and, and not trying to exchange with Leon. But uh, I have a feeling that in the third fight, you're going to see a lot of Usman, you know, just trying to, you know, grapple and play it safe at this point because we got we, we to gotta see how Usman is going to react from getting knocked out because he got choked out before. I think that was in his second fight. Now, you know, knocking, getting knocked out in that type of fashion, it could change somebody, you know. It could make somebody a little bit hesitant. So I strongly do feel that uh, Usman is going to return back into uh, grappling uh, just because of the way that he ended up getting knocked out. Uh, just want to get your thoughts on that. And I saw, um, what is it called, a couple, a couple matchups that were set up. I saw Dan Hooker. He's getting um, booked with uh, Claudio Poyas. Now, I salute Dan Hooker a lot because this guy's been through, like, a murderous role. I mean, ever since his Paul, Paul Felder fight, Dustin Poirier fight, uh, who else did he fight after that? I know he had a win over Nasser Hasperas, if I said his name correctly, and then he fought Islam. But uh, I don't know. I, I think that Claudio Poyas might be able to uh, pull off the victory, but just more salute to uh, Dan Hooker. And uh, is the fight officially confirmed with uh, Daniel Rodriguez and uh, – Kevin Holland? If so, I have favoring Kevin Holland just because of the, the speed factor. And since we haven't been able to see Danny Rodriguez in, what is it, over a year? But that's all I wanted to say. And uh, thanks, Mike. Heck of a morning. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, listen, the, the Usman hesitance potentially 
his mindset coming back after getting knocked out like that. I mean, that's what makes this fight so fascinating to me. And I know a lot of people are throwing out all these other names, like Hamzat if he beats Nate, Nate if he beats Hamzat, Mazadal because of the story there. Uh, even Chael Sonnen was on the MA Hours saying Colby Covington is in the conversation as well. It's got to be Usman. And it's not just because Usman was the long-reigning champion. I mean, that's a big part of it. And he deserves the rematch. And he should get it. And I know in MMA, and I've learned this over the years, deserves isn't a word that you should use all that often when talking about title fights. But in this situation, you got to give Usman the fight. And I think it's the most interesting matchup of all. Is it... Are we going to get... I mean, just, just the moment of Leon kicking Usman in the face in the final minute of that fight, like you just, you can just play that highlight over and over again. You can just play the clips of his coaches. What is wrong with you? You got to get something going here. What's the matter? This is it. Just play those clips over and over again. And you could sell that fight. You do it in England, make Leon a star. I mean, this is, it's just unbelievable seeing where this guy is right now. Where he was heading into this fight to where he's at right now, it's incredible. And Leon certainly has options. He's in a fantastic place right now. There's no doubt about it. But you have to do this fight. You have to. This is the one. And it's intriguing in a number of ways. It checks off all the boxes. It gets the casual audience involved because now they know who Leon Edwards is after this knockout. It gives it just gives Leon the hometown rub. And then it just it answers a lot of the Usman questions that we really haven't had in a while. Like we've had certain questions like how are the knees going to hold up? He's getting older. Does he still want to do this? All of this. And it seems like he still does. But now we can look at Usman in a stylistic matchup after getting brutally knocked out after being less than a minute away from winning the damn fight. I mean, it's just so interesting on so many levels. I think you have to do that fight. Dan Hooker, Claudio Poyas is a great matchup. I know Dan Hooker wanted the Tony Ferguson fight. That would have made sense as well. But this is this is probably the best case scenario for everybody involved. Like, Dan wasn't going to get a top 10 guy. He just wasn't. He's coming back to 55 after get, getting bolted by Arnold Allen at 45. And Claudio Poyas is a guy we say on the show where we talk about lightweights and have lightweight conversations. I mention him all the time because he's on this quiet little run He's knee-barring everybody into submission, and he's not getting even mentioned in a lot of these conversations. And now, after this opportunity to have this fight at MSG, to fight a guy like Dan Hooker, who is over with most of the fans, it's a big opportunity for both guys. It's a big opportunity for Hooker to try to get back on track. It's a guy outside of the top 15, outside of the top 10. He has fought a murderer's row. And I'm not saying Puyas isn't a murderer's row kind of guy, because he very well could be. In hindsight, we look back on this fight a year from now, but it's a great matchup. It's a great fight. As far as the Kevin Hall and Daniel Rodriguez fight, I tweeted out yesterday. I talked to multiple people involved in the situation with knowledge of the plans. Not done. Announcement from Holland on social media was very premature, I would say. Uh, I asked one person close to the situation if there's any legitimacy to it, and I was told flat out no. So work to be done. Not saying it won't happen, but as of right now, to say that fight is on the UFC 279 lineup would be inaccurate, certainly premature. But I hope that somehow it does get done because that's a great addition to the lineup. And it doesn't even have to be at 170. 
You just do it at 185. Who cares? Who cares? If it's at 185, is anyone going to say, well, this affects the welterweight rankings? No. They're going to be like, holy crap, Kevin Holland's fighting Daniel Rodriguez. This is awesome. In like two and a half weeks. Rodriguez hasn't fought in a while. I spoke with him during International Fight Week outside of the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. You can go check out that interview. And Kevin Holland is a name that was on his list. And they were linked up to fight in Jacksonville. Remember when Kevin Holland beat – who did he beat? Uh, damn it. He beat some – was it Hernan- Anthony Hernandez? And then they booked Kevin Holland at 170 to fight Daniel Rodriguez like a week or two later. And then Holland had an injury and he couldn't do it. So they've been looked up for a couple of years. I think the fight makes perfect sense. I'm excited. I'd be pumped to see it. No doubt about it. Let's go to James McDonald. How are you doing, Mike? Heck of a morning to you. Hey, I just wanted to say it was hard to get up for uh, DWCS the other night after, you know, such a thrilling pay-per-view on Saturday. But nevertheless, I I watched and, uh, you know, I came away impressed with uh, Cameron Saman. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but, uh, you know, he's a 20... 21 year old and then in a few weeks we've got a 17 year old that's fighting on the contender series i was wondering how young do you think is too young for these guys to be getting contracts and would you side more with uh thinking that they should get developmental deals um because i think it could be really discouraging for a 17 year old if if he does win to get in there in the bantamweight division and face a 30 year old and go down but just kind of wondering your thought process on that. Thanks, buddy. I will admit, and I'm, uh, I'm sad to say this, but for the first time in a long time, I did not watch an episode of the Contender Series. I did not, did not watch Tuesday's show. I didn't have to cover it. I was exhausted mentally from the weekend and all the UFC 278 stuff. Um, and I was waking up at 4 a.m. the next morning to – get a workout in and I was like, I want to watch it, but I'm, I'm going to skip this one. But I saw the highlights. I saw the crazy slam KO and, and all that. And it's funny that you mentioned the 17 year old, uh, whose name is Raul Rosas jr. He's getting ready to fight Mando Gutierrez on the September 20th episode of the contender series. I had a chance to speak with that young man on Monday. No, it was Tuesday, Tuesday. I talked to him for about 20 minutes very polished kid, very confident in himself. This kid has been fighting for a long time. He's been training since he was four. Uh, he told a funny story about how he got into fighting. His dad was a fighter, and him and his brother were, you know, just hanging out with their dad. And their dad gets a phone call about. It doesn't remember like like the context of the conversation. It wasn't on like a speakerphone or anything. But his dad was like, "Yeah, I'll fight him." And him and his brother went with his dad to take a short notice fight on like 12 hours notice. <laughs> and they watched his da- their dad fight. And they were like, oh, I want to do this. And Raul Rosas Jr. has been fighting and competing ever since. He had 22 amateur, like not even amateur fights from the ages of 8 to 14 years old. So as an 8-year-old, this guy was getting in a cage and fighting other kids. And he was 20 and 2 from ages 8 to 14. And then he had his first official amateur fight when he was 15. Uh, He fought in the world champ. He fought in, like, the the, the kids' world uh, tournament. And I think he won it. 
And then he had his first amateur fight. And then he turned pro in November of last year. And he's 5-0 and with five finishes. You asked this kid. He said he's going to be disappointed if he gets a developmental deal. He feels like he's ready right now. He feels like he matches up well with anybody in the division. The kid's got a lot of confidence. He's very humble too, but he's got a little swagger to him. The kid just doesn't want to be – he understands that the age is going to be a part of the story, uh, at least for a little while. But if, if, I sp- if, if his management team, who set this up for me, was like, hey, talk to this kid, and I had no idea how old he was, I would never have thought he was 17. Never. Because he's just a polished speaker. He doesn't act like a 17-year-old. He seems ready to me. And he had some good quotes too, but I'll save that for when the, the interview gets released. I'll, I'll drop that probably on the tail end of one of these heck of a mornings on the podcast network at some point. But you'll learn more about this kid before he fights. So stay tuned to MMAfighting.com. Let's go to Mikey Bats. Mikey. How you doing, man? What's up, AK? Um, I just want to say, MMA Twitter needs to stop using the word fluke as a euphemism for whenever they get a result they don't like, especially improperly, because what Leon did wasn't a fluke by both definition. If you want to say improbable, sure. You know, maybe that's the word you guys want, people want to use, but don't use fluke. Or at least if you're going to use it, please explain. You know, because a lot of people are just going, well, that's a fluke, that's a fluke. And it's like, it totally takes away from both both discredits. It actually hurts Usman more because how are you the pound for pound fighter and then get knocked out by a, a move that's supposedly not even supposed to happen? You know what I mean? It, it's not like it's a move that Leon's never used before. He used it against Pavel Pabak like seven years ago. You know, it's it's one of the combos he's been using his entire career. And it's a regular move that people use. You know what I'm saying? Even Anderson Silva, when he beat Chael Sun, everyone's like, well, that was a fluke. I'm like, it's not a fluke if you're attempting it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that'll be all for me this morning, man. Much love to everybody. Happy birthday, AK. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I, uh, I have a little diatribe that I would like to, to get off my chest here. And I've been waiting for an opening to, to say these things. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. There are no flukes in fighting. There are no flukes. There is crazy, shocking moments and stunning moments. To me, if you're going to use the word fluke when it comes to fighting, like Leon, like a fluke to me would be if there was like 30 seconds left and like Leon Edwards tripped over his own foot and somehow spun to fall down and his elbow hit Usman in the face and he knocked him out. Like that's a fluke. That's a, a lucky, crazy turn of events. That's a fluke. But him just landing a beautifully timed, perfect kick, one that if you go on social media and just watch videos of him practicing this kick, it's not a fluke. There are no flukes in fighting. Two people are in there. Some days you're the best. Some days they're the best. There's no fluke. There's no flukes in fighting. There's shocking and stunning moments, but there are no flukes. Leon didn't trip over his own foot and, like, flip over and knock Usman out. No, he set up and landed a head kick and won the fight. It's not a fluke. It's not a fluke. You want to use shocking, stunning, out of nowhere? Sure. Those work. But fluke? No. That's horrible. I hate that word. I hate the word robbery 
on close fights because that makes that's just wrong too. You can say you can say you don't agree with the decision or you scored things a different way, but to call things robberies, there are there are examples of robberies out there. But every close fight that goes to a split decision is not a robbery. Enough with that. That's just awful. And the other word that I can't stand in this space is clickbait. It's 2022, ladies and gentlemen. The word, it is time that we as a community understand what the word clickbait means. Clickbait is, to me, and, it, and this is basically the definition of it. Clickbait is you have no idea what the story is, and the only way to get the answer to it is to click on it. So if it's like, You'll, if the headline was like, you'll never believe what Leon Edwards said to his mother when he called her to celebrate the victory, that's clickbait. But if you say like Leon Edwards openly weeps when he calls his mom, that's not clickbait. That's not clickbait. If you have an article that basically gives away the story in the headline, it's not clickbait. Clickbait is, did you see what this person wore to the Oscars? Can you believe it? That's clickbait. But if the headline is, Look what Sofia Vergara, Sofia Vergara stuns with stunning red dress at the Oscars. That's not clickbait. We're telling, you're basically being told what the, what the piece is about and we're giving it away. Like we're trying to set it up, like we want you to click on it, but if you don't click on it, you still get the context of everything. Not everything is clickbait. Not everything is clickbait. I remember it pissed me off when I spoke to the representative from Madison Square Garden about the Jake Paul fight, and they basically said it had nothing to do with ticket sales. They reached out to me, first of all. I didn't even ask them. They reached out to me to give me this comment of sorts for Madison Square Garden. So I asked my editors if this was worth something to be written up. They said yes, and I wrote it up. And people were like, oh, this is clickbait. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? They gave, they gave their thoughts. They defended. And this is the and, and like this is such a significant piece because this is the first time that I've ever seen an actual venue challenge Dana White on something he said. And that's what they did. Madison Square Garden, a venue that Dana White frequents once a year, came out and was like what basically said what Dana White said was wrong. What these guys said was right. How was that clickbait? So robbery, fluke, clickbait. Enough. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, I'm back. Michelle, let's go to you, my man. Hello. Yeah, just wanted to say about the um, Edwards versus the Kuzman fight. I'm from the UK, and it was just amazing to see the reception and the reaction that um, Edwards has got since the win. Because personally, for me, I didn't think he would win. I think Kuzman was going to out-wrestle him and do what he normally did before he switched up his style with the striking. But I was pleasantly surprised to see how Edwards would actually KO him. And it's just to see a reaction from the UK media and just the MMA community in general, just heartwarming to see. And also, I just wanted your opinion. I don't know if you've touched on this yet about the Mike Perry versus um, Michael Venom Page fight. I just wanted to know your opinions on that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, g- great moment for the UK. Uh, and great moment. Th- this whole thing is just a great moment for Leon and MMA. Like, just this sport, uh, Dean Thomas, like, talked about it and he said there's there's memorable moments and then there's certain moments that all not only change stories and change career paths but it changes lives and he talked about what one example he gave is when Nate Diaz submitted Conor McGregor like that changed his life that wasn't just a big win that was a career altering life changing moment for him and this Leon Edwards knockout is a career changing life changing moment for him because he's going to get himself a bag for his next fight, no doubt about it. And if he beats Kamaru Usman again, those bags are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. This man has incredible amount of options right now. And if he can defend his title a couple of times, holy cow, he is in a fantastic place, in an, an incredible position, really, really strong. Uh, the MVP Mike Perry fight, look, it was, it was, it was a good fight. It was a good fight. They beat the shit out of each other. It was a lot of fun. I will say this, though. And this is just me. Maybe it's, there are people out there who are not going to agree with what I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it anyways. MVP got hosed. He got screwed. And he should never fight in London again. Because that's back-to-back fights where he got the big fat hose job. Because I don't care what anybody says. That was a knockdown in the second round. MVP should have gotten credit for a knockdown. And in all honesty, he should have won. If that knockdown is counted and it was a knockdown, he wins the fight. There's no, there's no sudden death victory round. He wins. And I thought, even though it wasn't a fight, I'm, I, I, this is a fight I'm not going to go back and watch again. I thought he beat Logan Storley. It wasn't much, but he, I just thought he did more. Like you could take somebody down and lay on them, but if you don't do anything, like it doesn't count in my eyes. And if Logan story lands a takedown and just lays on Michael page for three minutes, but page lands like 10 punches to the face before that I scored the 10 punches to the face higher because that's the freaking rules of MMA scoring now. So it is what it is. Great, great win for Mike Perry. That's a great name to have on the resume. And all of a sudden Mike Perry is like a baby face. Now it's just crazy. 
it's just crazy. But I thought MVP kind of got screwed. I thought it was a knockdown in the second. He should have gotten credit for the knockdown in the second. And if he did get credited for the knockdown, he wins the fight. There is no sixth round. And we're having a whole different conversation. But good fight. Good win for Perry. But I feel like MVP deserved a little better. But who am I? We're going to go to Viking MMA, and then we're going to bring in an oh-so-special guest. We'll get to everybody today, I promise. Viking! Unmute, my man. Yes, Mike. How are you, Mike? Hello, sir. I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Mm, you know, my question, it's not a question. I just want to know if you know something about this scenario or not. I heard that Kamaru Usman got his role in Black Panther movie in the first place just because Israel Adesanya rejected that, that role because he had to prepare for the fight against Marvin Vittori. Do you know anything about that, that scenario? And, uh, I don't. And the second thing I want to say is Imagine if somehow Kobe and Hamzad agrees to fight each other and Kobe calling Hamzad a cum shot in front of everyone at the press conference. <laughs> How do you imagine that scene? And just enlighten me about AK. That has he got that Scottish accent after his arrival to the United States? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, yes, I, I, if that fight gets made, it's got to be an ugly build. There's no doubt about it. And there's nothing that tells me that Kobe wouldn't say those things at the press conference. So, yeah, I don't know if that fight happens. We'll see what happens September 10th. I know Dana White said that Kobe wants to fight and they're trying to put something together for him. And I know a lot of people have been asking me, when are you going to talk to Kobe again? Lord knows I have tried. Uh, but I also haven't wanted to really bother him in this situation. Like a lot of the communication I've had with Colby over the last few months is just me just checking in. Cause I mean, that, that, that's the thing here because, and I know Ariel's talked about this and I completely agree with what he says on this. The relationships you build at MMA can't just be about MMA. You have to like, there are times where I'll just like, if it's somebody's birthday, I'll shoot him a text, say happy birthday. If it's a situation where, you know, a couple weeks go by after a fight. It's just like, how you feeling? Things like that. Like, you can't just always be, hey, are you fighting this person? Hey, do you want to do an interview? It's got to be more than that. And I've known Colby for a long time. Um, I just, so, he, I know he's got sort of, I don't know if trust issues is, is the right word, but I don't know. I'm like, most of my communication with Colby has just been checking in, making sure he's okay and, you know, because I mean, look, he's got that, he's got the persona on camera and things like that. And, but that's not really who he is. I mean, you can go back and watch some of the MMA fighting archives of my interviews with Colby. Like, one of the interviews, like, my kid came in dressed like Spider Man and Colby was like really nice to him and talked to him. And, like, that's who Colby normally is, at least the guy that I've always talked to. Really nice guy, very giving with his time. He does have the persona on camera. And a lot of those interviews are just Colby being Colby Covington, the MMA fighter. But I've talked to Colby, the human being, many times as well. And he's what a lot of his teammates and stuff have said about him. Not all of them. Not like Mazadal and Nunez and Joanna and others. But there are a lot of people who have trained with Colby who thinks to say he's a great guy. So, I don't know. 
I don't know what's going to happen with him. We'll see. And if he does have a fight on the books, I will certainly try to get him on camera and do an interview with him. Um, but for now, it's just been mostly checking in to this point. All right, let's go. Let's see if he does have a Scottish accent. AK, my best friend. Hello. Mike, I'm back. I'm back from MMA free vacation. I, I, I kept up with the news. That's about it. Obviously, I saw all the UC 278 stuff. I've only watched a clip of the head kick. And that's it. Other than that, I, I, no com. I was a. I cleansed my palate of combat sports for a week, but I'm I'm happy to be back. And I had to, of course, check in with uh, with you and Heck of a Morning and the beautiful Heck of a Morning listeners. Yeah. So, AK, I, I th- let's just put it out there now for the peeps. Uh, there are no fights. There are no fights this week. There are fights, but there's no UFC event this weekend, which means. Typically, we would have an Otno-free weekend, but I feel like we should give the people something. So maybe we do uh, an Ask Mike and AK Anything type of show? Absolutely. Uh, my DMs are open, guys, as they are for matchmaking. Now they are open for ask, asking any question you want. Uh, I will be caught up with 278 by then, hopefully, so uh, should have an informed opinion if you guys want to do, uh, you know, a week later, still have some 278 questions. I am down for it. Matchmaking stuff is welcome as, as well. And of course, and just any other combat sports or life questions life questions, professional advice mike we've done that before we've offered professional advice to people so um yeah i'm down for all of that uh someone was asking earlier has, has my has my scottish accent do i have a scottish accent well i already had a good one before but it is it is refined it is refined now it is it is i have i have in, absorbed much of the beautiful country and the people of scotland and uh and I, I, I think my accent's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. You tell me. You tell me. My... <laughs> hey, 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 Paul Craig. Hey, Paul Craig. Paul... That's it. I can say Paul Craig. Uh, so apologies to all the, the nice Scottish people I've met and all the Scottish listeners out there. Um, but I will be doing a Scottish accent from now on. I think it's pretty good. Nice. Thank you, AK. Great. Oh. No. Oh, come back. Come back. Come back. I'll get you back. Hey, come back. I didn't know you had more. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. All right. If you got other thoughts, jump back in because you're my best friend and you get to the front of the line. Vinny! Sivaram, you're next, by the way. I see you. Vinny, unmute. Thank you, sir. How are you, Mike? Heck of a morning to you. Good. How are you? Doing great, man. Uh, Just wanted to comment real quick on the Jose Aldo fight against Maribel. Maribel? Marabout? I can't say yep. that. Marab. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have a friend that sent me a, a tweet on uh, Saturday morning saying that um, there's a, there were some sports uh, sports books showing that Marabout was injured and Jose Aldo is the play. Um, so I was just wondering why are these sports books getting involved in in telling people who they should bet for because somebody's injured. It, 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 it turned out to be, I don't know if Jose Aldo threw the fight or I don't know what happened. I didn't see his, I didn't see his normal play. I, I love Jose Aldo and I've been following him for years and he's usually a, a pretty good fighter, but he was just defending that day. He was just nothing but defending. He did not attack that day. So I'm wondering why it's going on. I mean, I mean, is Maribel was not doing anything. How did he win the fight? But I mean, at the same time, why is the sports book uh, 
I don't know if he's a general manager for them, saying that uh, Maribov was injured. You know, it, it, it makes no sense. It kind of it kind of gets me because I betted on Jose Aldo thinking he was going to tear him up. He was the right play, like you said, you know. So I just wanted to express my disappointment on that. That is friggin' wild, man. Um, I honestly, that's the first I've heard of anything like that. I thought Aldo was the play no matter what, especially with him being an underdog. I thought Aldo was the play, and I just thought the matchup fit him well. But the fight was dumb. Like, it was just so stupid. The fight should have never been made. Jose Aldo got hosed by the UFC. 150,000%. The man should have been fighting for the belt. He should not have been fighting Marab. If you wanted to give another fight, he should have been fighting Frankie Edgar or Dominic Cruz or somebody like that. He shouldn't have been fighting Marab. It was just horrible matchmaking. And I praised the UFC quite a bit on recent matchmaking, but this was terrible matchmaking. Horrendous. And it sucks. And now we're going to live in a world that unless something insane happens, Jose Aldo is not going to fight for the Bantamweight title again when he has earned the opportunity. And it sucks. It sucks. But, yeah, that's wild. If there's a sports book out there that is telling people that a fighter is injured and that you should bet on this person – and then it turns out they weren't injured. There should be some, some horse shit. I mean, there should definitely be some better business bureau reach outs of some kind because that is just absolutely wrong. But I have not seen this, so I will have to look further into it because that's ridiculous. All right, Sivaram, let's get you in here. And then we'll get back to my man, AK. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Um, Mike, are you hearing me? I'm good, buddy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to say one thing about the UFC 279. Uh, I mean, I can't wait to see the fights of Ned Diaz versus uh, Hamza Shema and uh, Tony versus that Chinese guy. Uh, who you got on UFC 279 and uh, what's your prediction? Can you elaborate the reasons for your predictions? Thanks, man. Uh, I mean, I'm leaning Hamza right now, but I mean, there's just a there's a feeling in my gut that this is going to be like the most MMA type scenario. It's just one of those situations where, like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, I mean, if if these two guys just go out in there and fight, like Hamza should win. But Nate is a durable, durable guy, and this fight's happening with Mark Goddard as the referee, we found out. It's not Hokey Pokey Herb. And Mark's typically a guy who is a very good referee. He knows the fighters well. He does his research. He understands who these fighters are. And if Nate can survive and go deep, it gets really in- it really does get interesting. Plus the last fight in his deal. And I know the Jed Mishus of the world and other people have come out and been like, Nate should just go in there and have Nick throw in the towel and just walk away with his fingers held high. And I mean, that would just be insane. It'd be in an absolutely ridiculous moment, but I have no idea. I have to think about it. I'm leaning Hamza, but closer to the fight, maybe that feeling in the pit of my stomach that this is going to be such an MMA thing that like the weirdest thing possible could happen. And we've seen this year multiple occasions the weirdest thing that could happen has happened we've seen it twice in the last few months 
Yuri Prohashka, Leon Edwards. We've seen MMA weirdness at its peak in 2022. Maybe Nate Diaz could add to that list. Who the hell knows? And then the Tony Ferguson Legion Leon fight. I, we talked about this a lot on Tuesday. This is a, hey, Tony Ferguson's on the card. Let's boost this up a little bit. But it's also a, hey, what if Hamza can't make it to Las Vegas? We have a backup in place. They could just bump Tony up to fight Nate Diaz. And who's going to complain about that? But as far, in terms of the actual matchup itself, I don't know if I love it for Tony. Just it's four. It'll be four, almost four months to the day that he got front kicked to oblivion by Michael Chandler. So, plus the Justin Gaethje fight had to take some some miles off him a little bit. I don't know. I don't love it. Not a fan of it. But I understand why it's there. And Tony will fight either way. He'll either fight Li Jing Liang, or if something happens and Hamza can't get in to the States for whatever reason, which by all accounts, he's going to be able to from people that I've spoken to over the last few weeks, but you never know. And in case something does happen, you can bump Tony up to the main event and there you go. Okay, I'm going to have to make you wait a little bit because I promised some folks that I'm going to get him to the front. Abzwali is one of these people uh, who waited patiently on Tuesday. I couldn't get to him, but now he's here. Abzwali, yeah, hello. hello. Can you hear me? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. You yes. miss. Uh, so I just wanted to talk first about 278, the events that happened. Just want to say congrats to Leon. He really fought a hard-earned um, victory you know, after all the bullshit he went through the last, like, three years. Um, I remember the convo we were talking about what's next for him. I think he should definitely fight Usman first because, you know, that was a very close fight. And whatever it is, I think it will give enough time for Leon to prepare his game more like he has and Usman to do the same. And um, meanwhile, with someone like Hamza, I think after he wins, if he wins against Nate Diaz, he should probably fight Colby or maybe move up to middleweight and fight the winner of uh, Marvin versus um, Woodtaker, you know, because they can prepare him to um, test against the middleweight guys and show if he's really that real deal there. And yeah, I mean, Hamza's got options too. He could fight Colby if he beats Nate. He could just go up to 185. If Adesanya, and we talked about this on Tuesday as well, if Adesanya beats Pereira and Hamza beats Nate and they, they're going to do this rematch, which they should, between Edwards and Usman, if I'm Hamza, I'm, I'm either fighting Colby or I'm going up to fight for the middleweight belt. That's a huge, I mean, that, I, that's the biggest fight Adesanya can get after the Pereira one. The only other option would be if Sean Strickland beats Jared Cannonier, but he just got brutally knocked out in the first round by Alex Pereira. And Strickland can certainly sell a fight. But, yeah, I mean, it would be the biggest fight for, for Adesanya, that's for sure. And it would be a big opportunity for, for Shemaev, and it's something the UFC would certainly not be opposed to. There you go. All right. My best friend, did you have another? Yes, I just wanted to add. Hello, Mikey. I I don't want to abuse best friend uh, privilege, so I don't want to take too much time. But I wanted to add to your list of of words that we need to use less in these combat sports discussions. You said uh, like fluke, robbery, clickbait. I agree wholeheartedly with all those. One more, I think, is like can crusher. I don't love can crusher that much. Um, I I, I get it. I get, you know, there are certainly padded records out there. Uh, but it definitely is one of those phrases 
that gets used improperly? Like, just if people haven't heard of a certain fighter, like, before they come to the UFC and, like, they just don't, maybe they don't know their opponents. That doesn't mean they've been crushing cans. Like, again, you gotta, you gotta dig sort of into these records, what promotions they fought for. And it's also too often used to discredit, like, truly great fighters. You know, we recently did a uh, Damn, They Were Good about Ronda Rousey. And I know there's a lot of people who look back on, like, Rousey's career and say, like, oh, oh she, she was just crushing cans in the UFC, like, her, her competition. And I'm like, that that is patently not true. Uh, several of the women she fought are still fighting now and fighting good competition. So, I mean, that whole thing is ludicrous. So that's one, like, extreme example. But I do think, you know, I'm the prince of positivity, so I do wish uh, people would be a little less, like, trying to pick apart. You can, you can literally pick apart any fighter's resume. There's very few fighters who have, like, an airtight resume. That's just not how combat sports works. You're going to fight some some odd opponents here and there. If you fight for long enough and you're a champion long enough, it happens. I mean, everyone's critical, like GSP's uh, uh, fight with uh, Dan Hardy, and that's that's fine. That's one of his lesser title defenses. But, you know, if you want to nitpick stuff like that, you could do it all day, and at the end, you're just going to be unhappy. So I would tell people to also steer away from, like, Can Crusher and, you know, nitpicking people's resumes in general. Not my favorite thing, but that's it. That's Mike, that is it. Other than that, you covered all the bases with the first three you threw out there today. Sterling work, as always, and I'm, I'm very happy to uh, just happy to be back, Mike. Happy to be listening to your show. So happy to have my best friend back. Very exciting. When he messaged me in our Slack channel this morning, I was gleeful. I was giddy. All right, let's go to Coat. Cody? You got to unmute. Shit, I didn't know it was my turn. I'm so sorry, Mr. Heck. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Really excited for everything that's coming up. I just wanted to take a moment to shout out Leon, the champ, as everybody else. It was an amazing event. I was excited as hell. But I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in France next week. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on the main card, on the latest substitutions? And how about that John McDessie versus Nasdaq, uh, Hasperat fight? Yeah, man, that's going to be a banger. Let me just pull up the card. I know there's been like a lot of switches on that one. Uh, a lot of names no longer on there that had people scratching their heads a little bit. It's it, Listen, it's good. Gone to Avas is a big one. Whitaker Vittori is a big one. Alessio DeCurico, Roman Kapilov will be fun. Hackbrass McDessie is fun. Charles Jordan, Nathaniel Wood, that's a banger. Khalid Taha, Christian Quinones, happy to see Nasruddin Imamov back against Joaquin Buckley. Big opportunity for Joaquin Buckley. I think the world of Nasruddin Imamov is a up-and-coming prospect. Uh, Dustin Stoltzvis versus Abu Supyan Nurmagomedov. I almost said Nurmagomedov. I think I did, but I didn't mean to. Uh, Benoit Saint-Denis welcoming Gabriel Miranda to the UFC. That's going to be a friggin' banger, too. Uh, nice to see Ferez Ziem back in the UFC because I thought he was unceremoniously sort of parting ways with the promotion. Uh, Aileen Perez fighting Stephanie Yeager. William Gomez versus Jarno Ahrens. Interesting fight. Uh, it's, it's good. It's a good card. The, the folks in France will be happy. It's a lot of uh, France representation on this card, and there are stakes in a lot of these fights, especially the main and the co-main. And who? What if Tai Tuivasa does it again? Man. That's going to be crazy. What is the start time for this one? Ooh, it's early. I love it. Looks like noon Eastern start time. 
sign me up. 12 fights. Perfect. Should be a fun watch. I'm very excited. Let's go to David Kemp. Hello, David. Let's make sure you unmute. Mike. Hey, Mike. There we go. David, how are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. I appreciate all the content you guys put out. Thank you. Hey, I've got a couple of things. I'm not a big fan of these immediate rematches. I wonder how you guys, you journalists, are at the top of the game. Uh, I feel like it holds up divisions a lot of time. And then my other point, which kind of leads to that, is that I've been you know, listening to a lot of stuff after the Leon fight. Obviously, you can hear me. I'm from England. I'm a big fan of Leon. Um, but I don't know why nobody has mentioned Connor as his first defense. Now, I know that Connor's out, whatever, but Connor has different rules, right, in the UFC. And I just feel like that would be the biggest fight. I don't want to see a Usman rematch, you know, get, give Usman some time off. I also feel like if Hamza beats Diaz, is he going to take a year off? Because, you know, if Leon's going to defend in, what, February, March against Usman, then when's it, when, whoever wins that fight, it's going to be another battle, right? When are they going to face Hamza? So my main question is, why is Connor not being mentioned? Because everybody was talking about Usman possibly facing Connor or Connor coming back at welterweight. It would be, be a huge fight. Wembley Stadium, you've got the triple champ thing there. You've got Connor in the press conferences. Um, that's the fight that I want to see. I, I know it goes against all the rules, you know, but it's Connor, right? So I want to know why nobody has, nobody has mentioned Connor. Is it because of the management company? What's your take on that, Mike? Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I, I, listen, I get it. I know there's a lot of people who hate all immediate rematches. I'm not typically an immediate rematch kind of guy, but I think there are certain examples where immediate rematches are warranted. I think this one is certainly warranted, especially with how the fight played out. And even though I hate the word, a lot of people are still saying it was a lucky shot, it was fluky, which is absolute horseshit. But... I think there's still a lot of questions there. I mean, look at the look at the opening betting lines for this fight. Minus 350 for Kamaru Usman. I think it opened as a minus 375 on like late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. People still have questions about Leon Edwards. And I just think the matchup in general, especially considering how almost five complete rounds went, I, I, there's so, still so many questions. This is a fascinating matchup in multiple ways. And I, I love it. The, the Connor thing, Connor is entering that almost like on onto the next one. There are certain fighters that we ban because either like we banned Kevin Holland for a little while because what's the point of matchmaking for Kevin Holland when he's just going to jump in and fight two weeks after against anybody? It's almost like unfair to matchmake for him. Connor, there's just so many questions. Like, when is he going to come back? When can he come back? How's the leg? Like, we don't have answers to those questions. And is Connor in the mix? Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be. Just like he doesn't need to be in the mix at 155. However, I feel like the, the best chance for Connor to come back to a title fight is if Charles Oliveira beats his on Makachev. He goes out there and just styles on Makachev and puts him away. Oliveira has been calling for the Connor fight for months now. And the fact that the fight's happening in Abu Dhabi in October tells me that the UFC probably talked to Oliveira's team and was like, all right, if you go out there and beat this dude and you make weight and you're the champion and all that, we will entertain this idea if Connor's ready to come back in time. 
But now we have another hurdle because if Oliveira does do that, the UFC is going back to Brazil in January. Is Oliveira, what means more to him? Fighting in Brazil, defending his title in Brazil, or fighting Conor McGregor? Then that's another sort of question. But McGregor can come back and fight anybody. Headline, it's going to do a million. I said on Tuesday, Conor could call me out. I would say yes. He would beat my ass, and I would get that bag. And I'd be all right with it. But Conor versus me sells a million. Connor versus anybody sells a million. There's a lot of fights that are on the books or almost on the books that need to happen and that we can determine that a little better. Like Connor versus Gaethje. Let, let, me just, let me just add to this because I don't know why this just popped in my head, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. There's certain fans and there's certain like social media pages out there that report things that just aren't true. Uh, like for, for instance, I was listening to the on the nose segment of the MAR yesterday and someone, I, I don't know who it was, but he said that he was told that Adrian Yada's Rob font is a done deal. Not true. It's just not true because I heard that and I was like, what? No way. And of course I reached out and did my thing. Uh, I talked, you know, I'll just say, I talked to Rob font's manager about it and he goes, Rob's not fighting till March at the earliest and nothing's been even brought to our attention. And then another example was there are social media pages that are saying that the UFC is almost finalizing Raphael Fazee versus Justin Gaethje on December 10th. So of course I reach out about those things too. And normally I don't take those things seriously, but this was getting a little bit of buzz. So I was like, let me just reach out. Here's what I was told. That fight has been brought up. That fight has been brought up, but to say it, it's it's not happening December 10th, unless something crazy happens. That is that is what I know. We have two guys off of nose surgeries. I don't know, but there was a little bit of smoke to that one, but it's not done, and it's probably not happening December 10th from what I'm told. So those are, those are one of the things that – that I saw that I reached out about. So, but to put that back into context, Justin Gaethje is a great opponent for Connor. And if I'm, and if I'm Gaethje's team and that fight's brought to my attention, knowing that Connor is coming back, if I'm just, if I'm just a Gaethje, I'm waiting for Connor. Like if that's an option and I can wait like two or three more months and fight Connor, then I'm going to do that. Like, why would I fight Raphael Fazee when I could go fight Connor? So I get it. You know, if, if that's how the conversation, but I don't know. I don't know. There's plenty of options for Connor. I don't know who he's going to fight. I don't know if he's really in the mix of this Leon conversation. I would say probably not right now. It seems like the UFC is all in on on, on the trilogy fight, and we'll see what happens with Connor. Connor could fight anybody. I mean, they matched him up with Donald Cerrone after the, the long layoff he had before, and that was perfect matchmaking. You have to get this guy a win. But Connor also doesn't have a lot of fights left on his deal from all indications. So it's just going to be interesting to see how they book him moving forward. And if he gets Oliveira or who knows, he's not banned from on to the next one, but there's too many questions to confidently match make for him. All right, let's go to Tito. Tito. Hello. How's it going, Mike? It's been a while. What's how you doing, man? I've been all right. Um, just, uh, I, I was supposed to come on. I tried to come on before the 278 event, but I should have. I mean, 
was a mental one, wasn't it? Um, I wanted to ask, what do you think are Masvidal's chances of getting the Leon fight? Um, well, right now, not good. Not good. The UFC's all in on this Usman fight. They're all in on it. This is what they want. Dana's already said they're shopping arenas already. All the arenas in England. They're going to do the Usman fights. They're going to do it. Unless, <clears throat> I've said this many times and I stick by and I'll say it again. The only person that can prevent this fight from happening is Kamar Usman himself. If Kamar Usman just says, you know what? I don't feel like coming back. I'm going to take some more time off. Maybe, maybe I'm not ready. I'm going to come back like in the summer. Mazadal might get a phone call. But it'd be kind of tough to skip over Shemaev if he's in play, if he beats Nate. But I would say, I would say for Mazadal to get a title fight, Leon would have to win the trilogy fight in March or April, whenever that happens. And then Mazadal is going to have to get a win along the way. Now, if that happens, if Mazadal goes in and fights whoever and gets a finish and looks spectacular, and Edwards beats Usman again, there's a real chance that fight happens. A real chance. Probably in England. They probably go back to England again and do that fight. And it'll do big. It'll do big numbers. It'll do big numbers. All right, let's go to Realm and try to get to everybody at some point here. I don't. I can't go two hours again. I'm going to try to get to everybody before we get out of here. Realm, how I'm are you? I'm good. How you doing? Heck of a morning, Mike. What's up, So buddy? I just want to speak on the, uh, the fluke thing, how everybody keeps talking about this fluke shot. Uh, how, like Jad said before, how can a shot be a fluke when I literally intended to throw it for it to hit you? Especially a finish like Leon had over Kamaru. He, he threw the left to make him lean into the kick. That's literally a technique. How is that a fluke? And then about the can thing, if you, like like AK said, I don't believe, like, I ain't the can picker, but if you literally go through everyone's career, whether they became champion or whether they never became champion, at the beginning of everybody's career, there's names on there that you would be like, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? So it's not that whole can stuff. I don't believe in that. I don't agree with that. Have a good morning, Mike. Completely agree with you. There are no flukes in MMA. There just aren't. And I agree with AK as well with the can crusher thing. It's just a term used way too much, and it doesn't make sense. But again, there's no, there are no flukes. That kick is not a fluke. Juliana Pena beating Amanda Nunes is not a fluke. It's not. It's not a fluke. It isn't. A fluke is an accident, essentially. Leon trips, falls, somehow he elbows Usman by accident. That's a fluke. Him setting up a beautifully timed head kick knockout is not a fluke. It's just shocking. It's just unbelievable. It's unreal. And Dean Thomas had some great points when I talked to him yesterday. He's like, what if, he goes, if Kamar Usman is standing six inches to the left or somehow gets his hand up and is able to absorb some of that impact and survives it, We'd be talking about how great Kamar Usman was because of that first round and him bouncing back and winning the next four. It's just a game of inches, baby. This is a game of inches. And that fight in particular is the reason why. And it's why we all love this sport so much. Because literally anything can happen at any given time. And 
that's what happened on Saturday, and it was ridiculous. All right, Stephen, hello. What's up, buddy? So, real quick, one like I need a favor. I need to go to Madison Square Garden, call your peoples up, and tell them to drop the prices, man. They're killing me. The pre-sales went on today. Nosebleeds are over $500 at Madison Square Garden. This is insane. It's tough, man. It's, it's really tough. Um, the other thing is, of course, there's no flus. There's no flus at all. Completely agree. You have Masvidal versus Ben Askren. That was not a fluke. He knew he was a wrestler. He's dipping down. Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. You have Rose and Wei Lee. These are not flukes. Everybody is a technically skilled fighter, and everything is with intentions. Um, the other thing is, is, I don't know if this will be controversial or not. Um, everybody's praising the corner of Leon Edwards and what happened there between the fourth third round at the corner and how they were pushing him hard and everything and all I kept thinking about all the controversy when that energy was given to someone like Macy Barber a female fighter and everybody went off on the corner and the fact that they were talking to the fighter that matter so it was really something that I started thinking about like, we are praising that kind of corner but if it was somebody like Macy Barber or a female fighter, will we still react the same way? I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I, that was, I think it's at the Aspen Lad fight uh, when she was the Norma. Was it Norma Dumont? Yeah, I think it was the Norma Dumont fight. Yeah, and Jim West got absolutely destroyed for trying to fire his fighter up and. And I think we all kind of agree. It's just like, it was just a weird thing. And I think we were all sort of on the same page with that whole situation where, I mean, we've seen James Krause just rip into his corners and in, into his fighters in the corner. And yeah, it's, it's just a weird thing. And I think the more women's MMA becomes even more prevalent, especially to the casual, door, that's a different thing. But that's one of those situations where, certain fighters called attention to that and it created more of a controversy than there needed to be. Like if, and, and I'm not saying anything that's out of left field, Misha Tate's the one that really got that ball rolling. She tweeted it out and used her own experiences and tried to compare the two. And not every fighter is the same. Not, it's just like in all of sports. Like I've, I've told a story before. I remember I was a freshman like I called up to the varsity baseball team and I got put in to pitch and I walked like the first three batters and it was rough. I mean, I was, I was nervous. I was 14 years old playing on a playoff baseball team, walked the first three hitters. Next guy hits into a double play. The lead run scores. We lose the game. And the next day I practice, my coach straight up looked at me and said, Mike, you sucked. You sucked. You cost us the game. You suck. You sucked yesterday. And I took it. And like that's what I needed to fire me up. And the rest of the season was fine. Rest of my high school career, sure, I made a mistake here and there. But I never forgot that practice. I never forgot my coach in front of my entire team telling me I sucked and I cost us the game. And to me, that's how I'm coached. You tell me I suck, I'm going to make sure I don't suck again. 
There are other players on my team that if you said that to, and I've seen it, where you try to approach them the same way and they don't respond. They need more of a, hey, better luck next time. You can do this. People are different. All people are different. They're coached the same way. They're motivated in different ways. It's, it's just different for everybody. And fighting's the same. I mean, it's not the same, obviously, but the same sort of material plays. Like each fight, these coaches know their fighters better than we do, better than anybody else does. So when people question the corners and, and things like that, once in a while you'll, you'll hear a corner just say, you know, you're, like even Jose Aldo's corner was getting questioned because they thought he won the first two rounds. And maybe they felt like Aldo took his foot off the gas and he lost the fight. But we see that all the time too. Like, what's, like Lauren Murphy, that interview I reference all the time. When I interviewed Lauren Murphy after the Valentina Shevchenko fight, it's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done because she just, just like – she talked about just what it was like to fight somebody so great. And a lot of talk about that fight was about Lauren's corner saying, Hey, you're doing great. You're doing great. Even though she was losing all the rounds. And Lauren was like, that's just how I'm motivated. And that's how my team knows how to push my buttons and get me fired up. If they come out me and say, Lauren, you look like shit. That's not going to do anything for me. But when they try to give me positivity, I respond to that. And each fighter is different. And that's why when, when people question corners and, and talk about those situations, it's tough to actually judge because I don't know these people. Like, I've interviewed them, but I don't know how, like, what they're like in the gym. I don't know what it's like when they have to do that final round and they're exhausted, if they're sparring and they're getting beat up on a certain day and, like, what needs to be said to turn them around. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. So it's, it, it's tough. It's tough when it comes to the cornering. There are certain things that are said that can be picked apart a little bit, but it's tough. Unless you know these fighters, unless you're in the gym with them every day, it's really hard to gauge how they react to certain things. So that's always a tough question, but a good one. But it's a tough one. All right, let's go to Eric. Eric, hello. Eric, are you there? All right, try to get Eric. They'll get you in. Let's go to the AM. The AM. Hello. The AMM. Good. How are you? Thank you. I have a few things to, to talk to you about. Uh, first one, let's say uh, uh, Usman fights uh, in March and, uh, and beats Leon and uh, uh, he gets his title back. Where does he go from there? Do you he retires, given the fact that he was knocked out viciously this last time, and he will be almost 36 next year? Or do you think he keeps defending his, his, his title, if he beats Edwards, of course? Uh, the second thing, I heard someone talking about Connor. I don't think Connor deserves a title fight, especially that he only won one fight in the last six or seven years. Um, it doesn't matter if he does millions in pay-per-views, but there is a lot of fighters who are active and who are winning, and they are in line for the for the title fight, or who are putting to work every day. Um, one more thing, and it's the last thing for me. So, to 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 be a referee, to become a referee, does one have to have a background in a, in a combat sport combat? Uh, uh, background in a combat sport like either wrestling, jujitsu, uh, fighting, uh, kickboxing, or anything, or or no, or does that's not uh, that would be a plus, of course. But 
does one have to have any of the, the background in that? And thank you so much. Thank you, sir. First question, I have no idea. I would think that that's going to be a talking point when it comes to Kamar Usman. Like, if he loses again, like, what does his future look like? And I think we're going to probably talk about that a little bit on BTL. I'm sure that'll get brought up at some point today. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. And a lot of these retirements that we've seen this year just kind of happen spur of the moment. Luke Rockhold just had one of the craziest fights of his career, and he just takes his gloves off and says he's done. And everyone's like, no, don't do it. But it was probably the best time for him to do it because the worst things we see from these fighters is, you know, they lose and then they lose. And then, you know, they have a moment where they could walk away and then they don't. And they come back and get brutally knocked out and then they retired. It's just much worse. So I think the timing on Luke is perfect. The Connor thing. I've said this multiple times today and I say it all the time. I learned many years ago deserves means nothing especially when you're a big star like Connor. I don't like I don't love the the welterweight title idea that just makes no sense to me when you haven't won a fight at 55 in so long. Like you got wins at 170 against Nate and Cerrone who are essentially lightweights. Those are basically lightweight wins, but to just have him come up out of nowhere and just jump everybody and get a title fight just makes no sense. Now, if Oliveira wins with what this man has done recently, we have to wait for maybe some of this other parts of this division to play out. You want to try to get the biggest fights out of Connor that you can. You want to try to give Oliveira a little bit of a rub. Sure. I don't love it, but if the UFC did it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but Connor is just Connor, man. Like he does just box office, but it's a blessing and a curse because Connor could fight anybody and do a million, and it's fine. You get him in a title fight, maybe he does a few more buys, but what if he goes out? Like, what if he fights Oliveira and Oliveira just blows the doors off of him? Then what? I don't think the luster completely goes away. Still, they, he does a million in his next fight, but the, the shine just, he continues to sort of melt away in terms of how people view him. And then the third question, I don't think you necessarily have to have a background. I don't really know for sure. There are other people who have more knowledge of me, but you have to take courses. You certainly have to know about fights. You have to know what you're talking about. Uh, once you go through those courses and you do different things, and I know there's different meetings that happen sporadically throughout the year where, you know, referees and judges that watch certain rounds of certain fights that have been called into question, and then they decipher what decisions needed to be made, what happens the next time this comes up. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt to have a background. I think like most of them do that are that are in there doing the damn thing now, but. I don't think you like. I think if you're just a fan and you're like, "Oh, this is cool," like I want to be a referee. I think you need to have some knowledge, but you'll learn that knowledge when you take the courses and 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 get all that information. So, being a referee sucks, and being a judge sucks. Being a judge sucks way more than being a referee. Eric, how are you? Eric, I'm getting nothing. Getting nothing. Nothing but silence. We'll go to B. We'll go to Tristan. We'll go to Crypto, and then we'll see where we're at. BL, hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. How are Good, you, man? Uh, so I just want to say I said this before on the show. I think uh, the right fight for Connor and Masvidal is the Ultimate Fighter uh, season. Whatever coaches and just have them be talking a whole bunch of shit to each other. They're both on losing skids. I think that would be a fun 
some fun shit to watch. Uh, and also, wait, who said it again? Mazda on who? Connor. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> uh, also, I uh, shout out to Marab for his uh, his big win. A little lackluster, but you know, he's he's on a little run here. And I think uh, I think he should fight Ricky Simone because that would be a fun high paced wrestling exhibition. Uh, thanks, Mike. Have a good morning. Oh, BL, you're killing me. Marab just beats Jose Aldo, and you want him to go back and fight Ricky Simone again? Come on. Come on. Ricky needs a couple more wins before he gets back up to that one. I would, I would like to see that fight again, but not now. Marab's not going to go back and fight Ricky Simone. He's going to go fight maybe like Piotr Jan or maybe he fights Cheeto if Sean O'Malley wins against Piotr Jan. But I, I feel like every time I talk about the fight, like it's just about how Jose got screwed and, and I'm not going to shy away from that at all because he did. But I don't want it to sound like I'm taking anything away from Marab because Marab went out there and beat freaking Jose Aldo. He beat one of the top four to five best fighters in the history of the sport, in my opinion. And he deserves credit for that. It's not a win we're going to go back and talk about fondly. We're not going to, it's not going to be in our fight of the year honorable mentions by any stretch of the imagination, but that's a big win for Marab. And although it's not, wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing performance, they're not going to punish him for it. He's still in the mix. I feel like the biggest winner, even a bigger winner than Marab on Saturday was Cheeto because it seems it's, it just seems like the Cheeto knockout of Don Cruz happened like a year ago at this point, but still that fight comes, gets brought back up because of the Marab Jose Aldo fight. Cheeto's the front runner right now in my eyes. He's the guy now, October 22nd. That's the big one. Sean O'Malley beats Piotr Jan. Sean O'Malley's getting a title shot. There's, I mean, I think we're all in agreement on that. Whether we agree with it or not, whether it's the right meritocratic move or not, it doesn't matter. Again, the word deserves means nothing. But in this case, if Sean O'Malley beats Piotr Jan, he would definitely deserve a title shot because Piotr Jan is, in many people's eyes, the best bantamweight in the world. Even though he's lost to Aljamain Sterling in his last two fights, a lot of people are still very high on Piotr Jan. And if O'Malley wins, he gets a damn title shot. Like, and plus, the way the UFC has built him up, they're definitely giving him the title shot. But if Piotr Jan wins, it's, it's probably Cheeto Vera. So Cheeto's in a great spot right now. I think Marab, and I think Marab did Cheeto a, a pretty damn big favor. All right, let's go to Tristan. How's everything? How you doing? Hey, buddy. Hey, and just, uh, you know, just hearing um, about this possibility that they're trying, the UFC is trying to make Daniel Rodriguez versus Kevin Holland is upsetting to me. I mean, like, and just, just, can you give me, can you do Wonderboy a solid? Can you do him a solid? Like, he wants to fight Kevin Holland. Why can't you just give him that fight? It's a, I, I'm happy with that fight. I'd be ecstatic about the fight. Stylistically, it makes sense. Just give him that fight, man. Let Daniel Rodriguez, if you want Daniel Rodriguez to fight, have him fight Neil Magny. That is, Neil Magny will fight anybody, anytime, any place. Just have that fight. Like, what are we doing, UFC? Like, what are we doing? Okay, you put, and then Ariel, like he said, pushing for Shakhtar Rahmanov versus Wonderboy. Like, Wonderboy's got to be like, come on, man. Come on. God, my God. Like, you want me to fight Rahmanov, 
It's more recent. If I get beat by him, I'm done. Like, I, I, you know, I'm on a three-fight losing streak. And then it's like, you got you guys are just setting me up to be like, bye, bye, bye to the division, bye, you know, just to try to end my career. Like, come on, man. Come, UFC, do better. I mean, like, what do you get out of Rachmaninoff and Wonder Boy fighting? Like, come on. Be realistic, man. The guy wants Kevin Harlan. It's a more aesthetic-pleasing fight, you know. And he, one of them may have a chance to win that fight against Kevin Holland. You know, that is a more reasonable and better fight. Like, do better, UFC. Do better. I don't want to hear this this, this Kevin Holland, Dalen Rodgers, because they can fight later down on the road. All right? Just have Wonderboy fight Kevin Holland. And if you have Danny Rodriguez, have him fight uh, Neil Mack. And well, we're set. We're all good to go. And then second point I wanted to address here about Usman versus uh, the Leon Edwards situation. Damian Martin, he had said, you know, and I heard him, he, in his, he has the right to his opinion. He says that personally he feels um, Kamara Usman is the greatest welterweight ever. And that's fine. That's all good. And he makes good points that, that he feels that um, Usman had better competition than um, GSP or, or, you know, so, and I understand that too, but, and I think Jed brought this up and you have brought this up. 10 title defenses in itself is absolutely rare and is just insane. You just mentioned Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson has 11 title defenses. 12. Oh my God, 12. And well, you, it just blows my mind. So that in itself is beyond impressive about everything I've ever seen. Yes, Usman has better competition. I'll give you that. But in itself, defending that title is just absolutely beyond comprehension. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so rare. And that's why those fighters are considered special and rare and gets all the praise and love that they deserve because it's so hard. Like, I, I I think I think GSP probably when he reflects on his career sometimes and he thinks about it, he's probably like saying this. I don't know how I did. It. I don't know how I defended that belt ten times. Demetrius Johnson and his private moment has to say, I don't know how I defend that belt twelve times. It's unbelievable I was able to defend that belt, and they're probably amazed at themselves that they were able to do it because and it's now and it's hard. It's so harder now. If it if that if that ever gets done, I'm telling you, if that if that gets done in this in this in this generation. I'm considering the greatest because it's because it's it's really it's really possible that it's done. So, you know, those are my thoughts, Mike. Have a heck of a morning, and um, everybody have a great day. Thanks, buddy. I was wrong. It is eleven. Uh, Demetrius and John Jones are both tied with the most. Uh, Demetrius did eleven straight. Uh, I just feel like no one's touching that record. I just feel like no one's touching that record. Like I, Jones technically does, but he got stripped of the belts. I'm talking like continuous title defenses. Uh, Demetrius had 11 and he doesn't get enough credit for sure. Let me defend. And by the way, I've said this earlier, if you're just joining us, uh, the Kevin Holland, Daniel Rodriguez fight that, that Holland announced on Instagram yesterday, it's, it's not done. It's not done. So a little premature. I don't know if it's going to get done. I know they're trying. There's work to be done, but let's just say that fight does get made. I have no problem with it because and maybe this makes you feel a little bit better, Tristan. Wonder Boyd isn't going to be ready to fight until like November, you said. He's not going to be able to fight until like November, December. 
Kevin Holland is the type of dude to go fight Daniel Rodriguez September 10th and then go fight Wonderboy November 12th at Madison Square Garden. So we could have our cake and eat it too here, especially with a guy like Kevin. I could see him fighting twice in two months. Very possible. So I'm not ruling it out. I understand people wanting to see Holland Wonderboy be a great addition to that card, but there's no way Wonderboy's fighting September 10th. There's no way. I don't even think physically he's going to be ready for that. And then just on the flip side, like Wonder, especially now, if after the Wonderboy now, he's, Wonderboy's a big dude. He weighs like 200 pounds. He's going to have to cut 30 pounds in two and a half weeks. Wonderboy likes to have a full camp. I just don't see that happening. So we could get both fights. We could get both. All right, there's five people waiting. I'm going to try to get to all of you, and then I have to go. Eric, are you there? Uh, yep, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Gotcha. I got you. Yep. Awesome. Uh, well, first time doing this, and uh, kind of super excited to be here. Um, I want to caveat my question by saying that I'm a huge Dustin Poirier fan, much like a lot of you guys out here. Um, and um, just want to get your thoughts on, do you feel like, you know, Dustin's kind of being, you know, undervalued and, uh, being underestimated in the fight coming up with Michael Chandler. Um, and the reason I ask that is because, you know, Michael Chandler's only been, you know, kind of like a, an aged Tony Ferguson, if you will. He got crushed by Justin Gaethje, obviously throwing the game plan out the window. And, you know, he beat Dan Hooker, which, uh, who Dustin also beat. But if you notice, you know, um, Michael Chandler, right, he got clipped with the same left hook from Oliveira and Ferguson. And that's a huge threat coming from uh, Dustin Poirier, who's a, a really good southpaw. So just wanted to get your you know thoughts on, you know, why people are so high on Michael Chandler. And maybe it's the wrestling, but, you know, I feel like Dustin's being uh, a little underestimated. Thanks, buddy. I, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, at least in my eyes, skill for skill, I think Poirier should win that fight. But that's one of those, like, is it a three-rounder or is it a five-rounder? If it's a three-rounder, I probably favor Dustin Poirier a little bit more. If it's a five-rounder, I probably favor Michael Chandler a little bit more. Chandler is just a freak. Uh, we've seen Poirier down the street in fights. He gets a little tired, a, a little bit more. Poirier is a huge huge 55er he cuts a lot of weight that is not an easy wake up for him and Chandler's a big dude too he's got to make the same cut but I feel like Poirier's cut is probably a lot bigger than than Chandler's so I mean listen this is one of those instances where if they just want to do it at 170 like who cares like honestly who really cares it makes no difference just have him fight at 170 don't make him cut the extra weight if they don't have to they're not fighting for the title who gives a shit just let them do their thing um but I don't think Poirier is being undervalued here. I think it's two dudes who want to fight. I think the, the, the big conversation is more so than any undervaluing of any of these guys is that what about some of these other up-and-comers? Like what about Raphael Fazeev? Why isn't he fighting Dustin Poirier or Michael Chandler? What about Armand? Why isn't Armand Sarukian fighting these guys? Why aren't some of these other up-and-comers fighting these guys? That's, I think that's sort of the bigger question in all of this is what happens with the up-and-comers. Like, how long is it going to take Vazeev to get the kind of fight that he deserves with a Gaethje, with a Poirier, with a Chandler? I don't know. I don't know. I think that's that, that, that's the bigger question here. I don't think anyone's really overlooking Poirier against Chandler, though. At least nothing that I've seen. I don't know why anyone would do that. 
All right, let's go to Justin. Justin, hello. Hey, what's up, Mike? How are you doing? What's up, buddy? Good. So a couple uh, off-week things to say. First, I was really pulling for you to get that uh, no point on your patty pick, but unfortunately I saw Jamie Malarkey was booked yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That would have been a fun one. I, I, as soon as you said that on not now, I'm like, wow, that's a great pick. Um, so two off-week questions, just kind of for fun. One, what mispronunciation of a fighter's name makes you cringe or laugh the most? Maybe it's uh, Kamzad or Khabib or even uh, Mary Bob. Um, so that's question number one. And then number two, I spend a lot of time in the car, and I'm either listening to MMA fighting or some history podcasts or books. Who do you think would win in a fight between Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt? Those are my <laughs> questions. Happy off week. Hope you enjoy some time with the family. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm picking Abe Lincoln all day just because we share the same birthday. So just give me Abe. I'm rooting for him. My birthday brother. Let's see. Uh, let's have him go five rounds and see what happens. I don't know. Like Some of these names are so hard to pronounce. Uh, I think... The one that makes you cringe the most is when people spell Connor with two N's. That one drives you crazy. Or they spell it C-O-N-N-E-R. That one makes me a little cringy. I will say that the one that makes me cringe, but I also think it's hilarious at the same time, is Henry, Henry Cejudo announcing Habib Nurmagomedov's name on an Eagle FC broadcast. It's the best. It's just the best. And if you're looking for the next Eagle FC U.S. card drinking game to play... Henry Cejudo mispronouncing Habib's name is going to get you hammered and real fast. Uh, it makes me cringe, but it's also hilarious at the same time. So, yeah, those are probably the two I'll go with. Let's go to Ujwal. Then we'll go to Crypto, then we'll go to Brett, and then we got to go. Ujwal, hello. Unmute, man. Hey, how's it going? Many experts are underestimating Nate Diaz as as our opponent, and many many experts are saying that UFC and Dana White could have given him a easy fight against a veteran as a happy send-off. But but who knows that Nate Diaz has a massive gas tank, and we have seen his endurance in many fights against the Conor McGregor fight in 2016 and against Leon Edwards fight in 2021, uh, and and. He has a massive gas tank. Kamzat is a good wrestler, so they both uh, fight. Uh, I don't know who wins, but what is, what's your take on that? Thanks, buddy. Yeah, like I said earlier, I'll, I'll probably – I mean, on the preview show of that card, I'll, I'll, I'll give my take. I'm leaning Shabayev to win that fight. I just think he has more ways to win. His wrestling is unbelievable. It's a huge weapon against Nate. But if the, the fight gets extended, if we go to – Three, four, five. We get to those championship rounds. If Nate's durability shines, that's where things get, can get interesting. And it's one of those situations where this has been a weird year. This has been a strange year where the weirdest possible outcome, the most out-of-left-field outcome, has happened more oftentimes than not. This would be the pinnacle. This would be the pinnacle. I think Hamza should win. Skill for skill win this fight. This is probably where one of those fights where the betting odds are probably spot on, but Nate is just Nate shows up, man. Like when he has to, and he's into it, he shows up. Remember the Michael, like people talk about the Connor fights. Remember the Michael Johnson fight, the Michael Johnson fight in Orlando before the Connor fight 
Nate, people just thought Michael Johnson was going to run through Nate Diaz. And Nate had, like, one of the best performances of his career. And this is when Johnson was, like, a top 10 55-er. And Nate beat the brakes off him. It was a great performance. And then he cut the promo after. Like, he was on. And you could tell Nate was in, like, the best shape of his career. He was into it. Stop sleeping on me. And then he calls out Connor and cuts one of the best promos ever. I mean, Nate, when the lights are bright and he really wants to, the guy shows up. The guy shows up. And there's a lot of people out there who feel like Nate is up 2-0 against Conor McGregor. Or at least that fight should have been a draw at worst. I don't know. I ain't counting Nate out. I don't think Nate's going to win, but I'm not counting him out. Like, it would not be the craziest thing on earth if Nate absorbed the onslaught early, took it deep, and somehow beat him. It wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I've been saying it since the beginning. I think there's a world where Shemayev just runs him over. But here's the thing about Nate as well. Nate just needs one moment in that fight. He just needs one. If he gets ragdolled for four rounds, but then he lands it right, just like the Leon fight. He lost almost every second of that Leon Edwards fight, but he landed that shot with like 30, like the final minute, had Leon on wobbly legs, and Nate was like, I won the war, I win, I'm the man. And everyone believed it. Everyone believed it. So especially with where he's at in his career right now, all Nate needs is a moment. He just needs to land one big shot. And even if he loses, it's, his stock still rises. The Jake Paul fight's still there. And what if he wins? Oh, my gosh. What if he wins? It will be the best. It will be the best. Oh, man. That'd just be nuts. All right, Crypto, we have to end with you. I have to go. This is a very busy day. Crypto, are you there? Hello. Yes. So long-time listener, first-time caller uh, from Sweden. So it's actually not uh, a morning here. It's the afternoon. And Mike, yeah, I just, I mean, why can't we let uh, Leon have some fun? I I was just thinking about this. I mean, he has had such a tough road. Uh, Finally, he got there. He beat Usman. He's basically the most talked about fighter right now. He has so many different opportunities. Let the guy have some fun. I mean, if we do the fight against Jorge in the UK, it will sell out. It will do the same amount of pay-per-views, if not more, as if you would have done the fight with Usman. Let the guy have at least one fight that is fun for him. So I, I, I'm just amazed that Leon and Tim are not more vocal about this. I mean, I would be all in on this. I would be like, we do not utter Kamaru Usman's name until we try to get the Masvidal fight. If it doesn't work out, fine. We can always go back to Usman. That will happen no matter what. So I want to finish off by saying that actually Leon and Tim should listen to the amazing interview that Ariel did with Roberto Soldic because that is a masterclass of how you handle MMA business where Roberto Soldic starts off by painting this grandiose picture of himself and talks about mixing the martial arts, uh, being an amazing fighter, wanting to compete with the best of the best. And then he moves on to (laughs) basically taking the biggest passive aggressive dump on the UFC possible, calling the fighters bad 
and saying that, look what happens to fighters when they leave the UFC and fight for other promotions, just completely ignoring the fact that they are way past their prime. And then you move on to the final phase when you're asked about who you want to fight. You say Eddie Alvarez and Jake Paul. And that is how you do business. You maximize the profits. You take the easiest fight, quote unquote. There are no easy fights, but there are easier fights. And you make the most amount of money. And then when you have to fight Kamaru Usman, which, I mean, it will happen no matter what, then you find him. You do a Roberto Soldich, you maximize the profits, you have some fun, and then you move on. So that's all. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, buddy. But who's to, like who's to say that deep down in Leon's eyes that Usman isn't the most fun option? Like that's still a mega fight, and I think there's I think the competitor in Leon wants to shut up everybody who says that that was a fluke or it was an accident or it was lucky. I t- like to me like I think listen, Mazadal is a big fight. It'll get casuals in there for sure, but Leon Usman will as well. So why not just fight Usman? And if you beat Usman, you can do whatever you want. Like, he has some power now, and he has options. But at the end of the day, like, one more title defense, if he beats Usman again, then you could have all the fun you want. Then you can go fight Masvidal. Then you can go fight Connor if you want. Like, you have the options, but you got to fight Usman one more time. You have to. And by the way, it, it, just to kind of add to your story, Kamara Usman's road was almost identical it's not like Usman won three fights and got a title shot. Usman won a ton of fights before he finally got a title shot. And many believed, myself included, that Usman was a champion long before he fought Tyron Woodley. But he had to wait a long time. He had to fight different people along the way. Had to fight backwards. Had to fight guys that guys he shouldn't have had to fight. He had a long road, too. And then he had the title defenses. And then he had the, you know, the, he said, I don't think he's the best welterweight of all time. I agree with title defenses being just an incredible stat to justify that. GSP is, has his record of nine. Usman had five. GSP wins. Level of competition aside, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I think Usman is, I think Usman's the second best welterweight of all time. Which, by the way, history of the sport, that's still pretty damn good. He is... In my eyes, Kamar Usman is a, at worst, top 15 fighters ever. I stand by that. I, I, I completely think that's accurate. I don't think he's the best welterweight of all time. He was on his way to getting into the conversation, but he wasn't. The title thing, the, the title defenses matter. It's because it's so difficult. It's the hardest thing to do in all of sports. That's why Demetrius's record of 11 straight title defenses, Valentina Shevchenko might get there. But I don't think that record's ever going to get broken. I just I think that's it. I think that's the DiMaggio 56-game hitting streak. Even five title defenses this day and age is super impressive. It really is. So Usman deserves a shot. He beats Usman. Then he can have, all, then he can have fun. Then he can have all the funny ones. But he's got to fight Usman. He's got to do it in England. That's the one. That's the one. All right, Brett, I'm going to squeeze you in, and I got to go. Brett, hello. My, my man. Hello. 
Hey, Mike, what's I mean, going on, bro? How you doing today? Everything good? Everything's yeah. good. Yeah. Hey, listen, I just want to, uh, every time I listen to you, uh, your show, I hear the same um, somewhat argument from your uh, your audience. Is 135 the better weight division? Is 155 weight division better weight division? I heard you talk about Demetrius Johnson and his uh, title defenses. Then I heard the following uh, following caller start uh, talking about uh, Michael Chandler, how he, he doesn't think he's that good or whatever like that. Well, that guy... That that guy's a banger. That guy's a banger. Which brings me to my uh, my question, and I'd like to hear your opinion because I know we feel the same way. Is can you uh, explain that the beast like product that's a one fifty five is so deep, it's so unbelievable to rise to the top of one fifty five, a million times harder than it would be in the one thirty five division. I'm not dissing on one thirty five. I think they're uh, incredibly athletic. I think they're powerful. I think it's insane some of the talent some of these guys have at 135 but the division from top to bottom and 155 and how you ha the cream has to rise to the top it just makes it a far superior division and i just like to hear you touch on that and uh just have some of these uh everyday people who hear that they might think the 135 is is top because they hear other people say it and it makes them believe it they, they, they that needs to be debunked 155 is the king in MMA. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, buddy. And you know what's crazy about this? And I was talking to Dean Thomas about this yesterday. The UFC got rid of this division at one point. They got rid of 55. It took them a long time to bring 35 in. 45. 25. And now these are the most exciting divisions in the sport. Which is wild to think about. So here's how I look at this argument. There's a difference in my eyes between what division is better and what division is a little deeper? Like top heavy, you just cannot compare what's going on at lightweight to, to bantamweight. You just can't. Oliveira, Islam, Poirier, Gaethje, Chandler, Fazeev, RDA, Gamrod, Ferguson still, Connor still, Jalen Turner's coming up, Sarukian's coming up, Isma Gulov, Diego Fajada could still go. Then you have guys like Gregor Gillespie, Guram Kutataladze, Joel Alvarez, Brad Riddell, Bobby Green's probably like the 22nd best lightweight in the world, maybe a little higher. Then you have guys like Claudio Pueyes has won five in a row. You get guys like Grant Dawson who hasn't lost in a long time. Marco Madsen's winning fights. Jakar Close has looked good. Jim Miller's still there winning fights. I mean, it's just a, it's a crazy division. And now you add Patty Pimblett in there. It just adds a little more spice to it. And I don't think – I've been very very clear on my thoughts on Patty Pimblett. Just put this guy over. You WWF superstars that man, and you just get him wins over and over again. Bantamweight, you can make a case that it is the deeper division, that there's just – it's deeper. That – like at least with lightweight, like you know – like you can maybe shuffle out 15 to 20 – but at Bantamweight, you could shuffle out like 15 to 30, like 15 to 35, and you might be able to have a case about it. Like Bantamweight's still really good. It's not as good as Lightweight, but it's really good. You got Sterling, Dillashaw, Jan, Marlin, Marab, Aldo, Sanhagen, Song Yudong, Rob Font, Ricky Simone, Cruz, Edgar, Munoz still there, Sean O'Malley. You got Umar Magomedov, who is probably going to fight for a title at some point. Jack Shore may have lost, but he's still really good. I'm a big Victor Henry guy. 
Saeed Nurmagomedov's really good. And then you have like you go down to like 30 and you have Chris Gutierrez who has looked real good. Montel Jackson is really good. He just can't fight enough and it it's tough. And then you have Jonathan Martinez who's fighting Cub Swanson. Like he's probably the 35th best bantamweight in the world, but you can make a case that he's like the 20th best because of the run he's been on. You have Sergey Morozov who's really good. Uh Basharat's going to be a Saidukam Hakramanov looked ridiculous in his last fight against Ronnie Lawrence. I mean, if you want to make an argument that Bantamweight is a deeper division than lightweight, I'm going to listen to that argument, and I'm probably going to agree with you. But if we're talking, like, what division is better, like, it's the Cadillac versus a Honda. And listen, Honda is super reliable. If you drive a Honda Civic, my little brother just bought a Honda, a used Honda Civic. He's going to have that car for, like, 10 years. And it's going to get him where he needs to go. As long as he puts oil in the car and takes care of the maintenance, that car is going to last him forever. It's reliable. It's always there, and it always delivers. But lightweight is a Tesla. Lightweight is a Cadillac. Lightweight is a Lexus. It's the money, it's the money division. It's the luxury division. It's leather seats in the stock. That's what lightweight is. It's just, it's just a better division. It's the more marquee division. Bantamweight might be deeper. But lightweight's, lightweight's always more interesting. The bigger stars are a lightweight. It's just the way that it is. And that's the difference. You, there's a difference between bigger and deeper. You can make an argument that maybe featherweight is deeper than lightweight. I wouldn't make that argument. But you can make, you could definitely make an argument that bantamweight is deeper as a division than lightweight. But you cannot, you just can't say lightweight is, that bantamweight is a better division overall than lightweight because this is not true. It's just not true. All right, I have to go. I have to. Don't forget, BTL, Between the Links, live, 3 p.m. Eastern, MMA Fighting YouTube channel. We got a banger, Jed Mishu versus Mortal Com- Morning Combat. It's not Mortal Combat. It's Morning Combat's Brian Campbell. Jed versus BC. Holy cow. That is going to be fire, and I am excited for that. So we'll be back again tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Twitter Spaces. And we'll get after this thing one more time and probably still talk a little bit more about Leon Edwards' big win, UFC 278, so forth and so on. So we got to go. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody. You're the best. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.